Hello and welcome to another edition of the Paul's Body Engineering Podcast. Today, I am bringing you episode number six. We've done six so far. Very, very exciting. Today, I'm running solo again because I'm going to bring you a podcast um, and I get this question a lot, particularly being a, a personal trainer and having a lot of clients about certain training tips and ways to better your training performance, but also better your technique. And technique is so important. It's so prevalent to success. And a lot of people are put off by certain exercises because they can't perform them correctly or they're unaware that they're not performing them correctly and they tend to hurt the wrong body part or the wrong muscle group or they feel like they're not progressing because it's just too tiresome. So I'm going to go through my gym hacks and training tips today to help you better understand great ways to train, but also good analogies to use because a lot of the time, you know, training tips are done via video and, and, and things are displayed. So I'm going to do my best to provide a visual explanation of the best ways to get through various exercises. And I'll go through them in some sort of order. So I'm going to work from a sort of a compound lifting perspective first and then work through uh, to isolation exercise. And I'll describe them as we go and I'll, I'll certainly be as descriptive as I can be. But also, I certainly recommend um, downloading this uh, podcast or even um, at the very start, as I mentioned this now, grab a pen and paper and take some notes because this can certainly be very advantageous to your training performance, to your ability to progress, to lift better, to, to be more mobile, uh, full range of motion, all those sorts of things can be um, taken further with some of the tips that I'm going to provide today. So let's get started, shall we? So the first one, deadlifts. Everyone knows what a deadlift is. Everyone knows how beneficial a deadlift can be. It is, it is a very effective exercise when performed correctly. It works so much of the body. It's, it's primarily a posterior chain exercise. So that is anything on the back side of the body. So we're talking down the back, so the traps, the, uh, the, the, the lats, the erector spinae, which is the, the lower, bar, lower back, excuse me, your glutes, your hamstring, your calves. Now, depending on the form of deadlift, you can also utilize your quads. Your core is heavily used through this exercise too. So look, it's a, it's a very useful exercise, particularly if you're poor on time. I always say, if you've got a very short window, setting up and doing a series of deadlifts um, as a singular exercise compared to trying to jump between um, exercise to exercise can really be beneficial because you expend so much energy when you do a deadlift correctly. So deadlift. Now the, 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 the main analogy that I use um, when performing a deadlift for clients is I identify you've got a, a lot of people complain about having a sore back when they deadlift and a sore lower back in particular. Now that can be the case because the lower back is the base of the fulcrum. So when you're setting up for a deadlift, a lot of the load can go on the lower back. But the lower back is a major muscle. It's the erector spinae. It's a big, big muscle group. So it does tolerate a bit of collateral damage. So that's expected. But when you, when you do a deadlift, you want the entire back to take most of the load. Okay. So the good way to engage your upper back and it, it, it's not as simple as just saying, turn your lats on, turn your lats on. Unless you know how to do that, you're not going to be able to do it. So the analogy I use is imagine you've got two rolled up newspapers. So full newspapers rolled up, you tuck them under each arm. Now you've got to hold them there. Now you set up and you do your deadlift. Now by holding those newspapers tight, so you basically, you're squeezing your arms close to your body with the newspapers underneath, you're engaging your back. So give that a try. Get a couple of thick newspapers, Fold them up or roll them up, 
Put them under your arm. They need to be thick so that you can you can hold onto them, and then set up for a deadlift and perform that deadlift. Now, the other analogy I used because I I always use the term tight. Whenever I'm training someone one on one, I'm always yelling at them tight, tight. Now, what that effectively means is you need to tighten every muscle you can control, particularly when you're doing a compound movement like a deadlift. Everything needs to be tight. You need to be braced. And the analogy I use for this one is. Imagine for a second that you're playing, say, a contact sport. So let's use rugby league as an example. I love the sport, so let's use that. So you've got the ball, you're running towards the defensive line, and you see a big forward coming at you ready to tackle you. He's coming for you. So what is your instinctive, um, what's it your instincts tell you? You're going to brace for impact, aren't you? You're going to grab that ball, hold that ball, and you're going to brace for impact because he's going to hit you hard. Now that brace means you're tightening your body. You are tightening everything. And that's the same thing you need to do when you perform a deadlift. But not just a deadlift, like a lot of exercise require that tightness through the body, that bracing. But for this example, I'm using deadlifts as the, as the first exercise. So the newspapers under the arms, brace for collision to ensure that your body is tight. Now this applies to all deadlifting um exercises so not only your traditional deadlift or conventional but your sumo your trap bar your rdl or your romanian deadlift your stiff legged deadlift um, your rack dead uh, even your barbell row where you're sort of um, positioned over your feet and you're suspending the weight in front of you you need your body to remain tight to ensure that you're performing it correctly now i have experienced a, a, a lot of times um, whereby people can't get into that deadlift position. You know, they, they tend to, they don't have that understanding of their body yet. And that's fine. That's cool. That's what we're here for. We're, we're here to teach you. So a good example of getting that back into that nice straight position as you set up for a deadlift or a row or anything like that is grab yourself a, a reasonable kettlebell. So generally a sort of an eight to 10 kilo one, just one. And if you stand up tall, put your hands behind your back. So they're basically sitting on your backside with your palms facing out. And then have someone pass you that kettlebell. Now you hold it with two hands and then you bend over. And you bend over at, say, about a, not a 90 degree, but say about a 70 degree angle. What you're effectively doing by having that weight positioned behind you is you're keeping your shoulders back. You're keeping your chest forward. You generally look straight ahead and your back tends to stay in that neutral position, which is what we want. So you use a mirror to do that and see how it looks, but also know how it feels. You need to know how to feel your body in a certain position to set up for it. And if you can then take the kettle or get someone to take the kettlebell out of your hand and hold that position and then set up for a deadlift, but maintain that same feeling that you had, you're well on your way to having a neutral spine and then you perform the, the newspaper scenario that I gave and also the, the collision analogy that I used and straight away you're well on your way. But with the deadlift, just make sure that you start light. Start light, perfect your technique, get a PT to obviously oversee you, someone who knows the intricacies of a deadlift, that's a, that's a technical Nazi and really can pinpoint where you can improve and then you build your way up. Don't try an ego lift on a deadlift because you can do damage. It is a, a very complex and complicated exercise, but as I said at the very start, if you do it correctly, it's a fantastic exercise to, to perfect, it really is. So let's move on. The next one I want to touch on, another common one is a squat. So again, the squat covers a number of different options in terms of um, 
variables when it comes to that exercise. So the traditional squat is a, is a back squat. You have the bar on the back and you can have a high bar or a low bar. And then there's other alternatives such as your sumo, which changes your stance, your goblet, zerka, the hack squat, which is generally a machine, but it can be done with dumbbells or a barbell, Bulgarian split squat, and the safety bar squat. They're the primary ones that I sort of utilize when I train people or program for people. Now, often people struggle with depth on a squat, and the ideal squat depth from a powerlifting perspective, because that's effectively what it is, it's a powerlifting exercise is getting your quads to the horizontal point so basically your quads are horizontal to the ground that's good depth um, and then you obviously just drive up and squat from there a lot of people struggle with that um, and a good um, analogy that I've come up with for this one is if you sat two marbles on your knees and you squatted down and they stayed there okay so let, let me take you back a step once you've squatted down to that horizontal point or as deep as you can and you set two marbles on your knees, if they rolled forward off your knees, then you're not deep enough. If they stayed stationary and didn't move, then you've hit the mark. If they roll back into your body, then you're going even deeper and that's fine too. So that's a good analogy to use. Would, where would that marble roll if you were to squat at the moment? And it's something you can certainly improve in, in terms of your range of movement. Now, the other... Um, analogy I want to use for a squat, and this applies to all squats, is a lot of people struggle when they squat back up. They raise their hips first and their body, their upper torso comes last. So the hips go up and then the torso sort of sort of follows. When in point of fact, you need to be obviously chest high, looking forward, and the body comes up in one movement. Now, a good analogy I like to use with that one is imagine that you're trying to drive or push your feet through the ground. You're actually trying to push your feet through the concrete. You're not trying to push your body up. Think of it as you're trying to drive your feet through the ground. If you can do that with flat feet, good contact, then you will find that you'll be able to drive up a lot better. And remember, weight is, is a, an issue as well. Don't lift too heavy too soon. The other, um, the other analogy I like to use is elevating your heels. Um, now, by elevating your heels, you can take a lot of tension out of your calves, your Achilles, even your hamstrings, and it, and it can create a greater depth in your range of movement. So, first timers, if, you, if you've never done it with, with your heels elevated, use a, just a 10 kilo plate, place your heels on the plate, toes on the ground, and make sure that you've got good contact on both, and just do a body weight squat. Do an air squat and see how much depth that improves by. For me personally, having my heels up is tremendously um, beneficial. It really um, increases my range. Um, but what you'll find is by doing that, you're actually mimicking a powerlifting shoe. So for those that are familiar with the, um, the um, squatting shoes that you can get with the really thick, hard sole, there's quite a number on the market now, your heel is actually elevated in those shoes. So this sort of mimics that position. And obviously the, the height of the heel will change depending on your foot size, depending on the plate you use or the um, uh, maybe you use a, a wedge, things like that. But it can be greatly beneficial to improving your range of movement. So another good option there. Okay, moving right along. Let's look at the hip thrust now. So, so prevalent at the moment. Everyone, particularly females, are doing them because as we know, it improves and strengthens and develops your glutes. So setting up for hip thrust, I've seen a lot of um, a lot of different scenarios here, and and, in, and again, in my professional opinion, 
Um, and, and let's, I want to take you back one step. There is a major difference between the hip thrust and the glute bridge. The hip thrust is done off an elevated point. So your shoulders, sort of in your scap area, needs to be resting against either a bench, a um, aerobic step, a plyo box, something around the 30 to 35 centimeter mark. That's the ideal height of a hip thrust. And again, that varies from person to person. But that's a hip thrust. Now, a glute bridge is wholly and solely flat on your back on the floor. So the angle is vastly different. And, and the range of movement is a lot different too. But if you combine the two together, you, you'll get yourself a great glute workout. Now, moving back to the hip thrust, it's always on that high point. Now, you need to have your head looking forward. I see so many people throw their head back when they do a hip thrust. Your head needs to be looking forward. So pick a spot on the wall, pick a spot in front of you and maintain your eyesight on that. Now what that is doing is it's relaxing your lower back. And I've heard it from time to time again where individuals doing hip thrusts hurt their lower back. They can't seem to feel their glutes and hurt their lower back. And look, there are a number of scenarios in regards to that. Some people just have really weak or underdeveloped glutes and other muscles around the glutes are working instead of the glutes. So that will take time to develop. But Generally speaking, if you're feeling lower back and you're throwing your head back, you need to look straight ahead. Now that can be hard when you're doing big volume sets because it tends to put a bit of strain on the neck. So space out your sets and just make sure that you're not putting too much tension on the back of your neck. The next one, um, or the next point I wanna raise about the hip thrust is make sure that your hips are moving. It's a thrust at the end of the day. So your hips need to move. You're not throwing your entire body through the movement. It needs to be hips alone so that your glutes are working effectively. Um, and at the top of the exercise, make sure you're squeezing your glutes. Everyone should be able to squeeze their glutes. Just stand up now and squeeze your glutes, and that should be done at the top of the exercise so that there is engagement. Um, another point is bands do work. Like they, they on their own, they're not going to provide much um, overload or much progression in terms of hypertrophy but unless you're a very first time if you're very green to the to resistance based training and you put a band on for the first time you do a, a series of body weight thrusts or lateral walks or something like that yeah you're going to get some some hypertrophy and you're going to develop your glutes to a point but after that for a intermediate to to advanced lifter who has been around training for a while bands just provide that extra level of resistance from the outside in so you're thrusting up but you're getting resistance from the outside in. So it certainly helps. Now, if you are feeling the hip thrust in your quads, in your hamstrings, or in your lower back, like I identified before, again, everyone is different. So your foot placement might need to change. Generally speaking, the rule of thumb is that you place your feet on the outside line of your hips and you'll have your toes slightly rotated out. However, if that's not working for you, maybe you need to go wider. Maybe you need to bring your heels in slightly closer. Find the sweet spot that works for you, remember it, so be in front of a mirror, remember it, and maintain that every time you set up for a hip thrust. Incredibly important. Okay, moving right along. The bench press. Now this is one of the one of the favorites for a male. Everyone does um, International Chest Day on a Monday, as we, as we know, because it's a good uh, way to start the week. It's fun, it's great for males in particular. Now, but that's not saying females don't train chest because they do. I train a lot of females and a lot of them do a, a lot of chest work. Um, a good analogy I use here is when you're setting up for a bench, and this can be dumbbell bench press, incline, Smith machine, floor press, anything like that that is wholly and solely focused on the chest. 
Imagine you've got a coin sitting in the middle of your, middle of your chest and you're trying to keep it there. So you're squeezing your chest to sort of create that concave between the two pec muscles and hold that chest in place. Then you perform the exercise. By doing that, you're engaging your muscles, you're ensuring that they're tight and they're on, and you're performing the exercise. Good analogy to use. Now, when you come to the back end of a set or the back end of several sets and you're quite fatigued and you're struggling to get those last couple of reps out, take a deep breath. Take a deep breath, fill your lungs up with air, hold that breath, and then do the single rep. There's always one or two more reps you can push out, always. Particularly if you've got a program that set you up for say, I don't know, I'll use a, a random number, say 12 reps and you get to 10 and you think, oh man, I'm burning here, I can't get those two out. Lock the bar out at the top, take that deep breath, fill your lungs up full of air, chest is nice and high, and then rep one. Let the air out at the top, and then repeat that process. Hold that air in and press again. I guarantee you, you will get those extra couple of reps out every single time. Because what you're doing is, you're one, you're giving yourself a moment. You're giving yourself a moment to collect your thoughts, compose yourself, control the movement, but also you're creating tightness in your body. By filling your lungs up full of air and holding that air in there, your lungs are full. So your upper body is full and it's tight. And that scenario, that analogy applies to all big compound moves, deadlifting, squatting, bench pressing, lunging, leg press, take that deep breath in. It's very, very effective. Now, as I mentioned, that applies to a number of different bench pressing exercises. So give that a go and see if that can improve your bench press. Now the leg press, another favorite, another favorite. It's a great machine, the leg press. Um, the main one that I, I wanted to touch on here is foot placement. The foot placement on a leg press, particularly if you've got a decent board or foot board on the, the leg press, and I'm talking mainly 45s here, 45 leg press, not and the, and the plate loaded ones, not your pin loaded horizontals. Um, foot placement can really dictate what muscle group you're working. Now, obviously it's a leg press, so you're gonna be using your legs, but if you go high and wide with your toes rotated out and you've got reasonably strong glutes as it is, you'll get glute and hamstring work much more. If you go narrow and low, you'll get more quad work. If you shorten the range of movement, so you don't go all the way out to the, to, to the um, or to shy of lockout and then bring it all the way back in. If you shorten that range of movement to almost half, you'll get more quad work and you'll get the top end of your quad right near the knee. So there's a number of ways to use the leg press to your advantage. Also, don't forget, don't underestimate the value of a single leg leg press as well. Um, you'll find more often than not, if you can lift, let's use round numbers, if you can leg press to, uh, 100 kilos, chances are on a single leg, you're not gonna do 50. It's more likely gonna be 20, 25, something like that. So by doing single leg, particularly if you're someone that um, acknowledges the fact that you've got a weaker side and a lot of people do um, acknowledge this they've got a weaker side so that could be just due to the fact that they've got a dominant side and that that has developed um, through their youth and into their adulthood just through sport through being a parent you know obviously carrying a, a kid on one side things like that and it's significantly different single leg exercises or unilateral exercises are a great way to strengthen the weaker side okay let's move on Hack squat, I love this exercise. And I'm talking about a machine, not the dumbbell or, or barbell variation. A hack squat machine, and these come in different different styles, different angles, um, there's a number of different alternatives out there, but most gyms have a hack squat, a variation of a hack squat. 
Now what you'll find, a lot of individuals are not familiar with the correct technique on a hack squat and just squat down and press up thinking that they're doing the right thing. When in point of fact is, a hack squat is designed to really overload your, your quads. It's a great quad based exercise. So the best analogy I tend to give when you're doing a hack squat is when you're squatting up, so you've dropped down and you're about to squat up, think think of your your think like you're performing a leg extension. Now I'll repeat that because that sounds a bit weird. Think like you're performing a leg extension. So everyone knows a leg extension, every single gym in the world has a leg extension. But that feeling where you're pushing your lower half of your of your leg, your shin against the, the pad away from the body, that's what you'd need to try and do when you're hack squatting. Now most hack squats, their foot plate is quite um, non-slip, so it's either got the checker plate or it's got a non-slip surface of some sort. So you're not gonna slip by trying to do this. But you've gotta squat up, and as you squat up, you've gotta drive your feet away from your body. And I guarantee you, you will get much better quad engagement by doing this. So give that a try next time you hack squat. I guarantee you it'll it'll change the way you do it and it'll change the way you feel too. Now the next one, goblet squat. Goblet squat, I love the goblet squat. It's a, it's a much easier squat performing exercise, particularly uh, for those that have hip impingements or um, shoulder issues where they can't put a, a barbell on their back. So you, you don't generally lift as heavy, but it's a good alternative because you can get out a lot of reps. Now the key to a goblet squat, is not only keeping the dumbbell high and under the chin, but also elevating your heels. Much like I said in the, in the squat, or the overall analysis of the squat, excuse me, elevate your heels. This will allow for greater depth. Keep your toes rotated out, and always look to improve that depth as well. Now the other one, and this again applies to the standard squat, as I mentioned earlier, when you try and squat up and because the weight's at the front of the body, your hips come up and your body sort of follows after, so you're sort of bringing your hips up first and you, it's a bit of an awkward situation. Imagine you've got a big helium balloon attached to the top of your head. So you're nice and tall, and I got given this advice by a chiropractor years and years and years ago because I've got poor posture, or did have poor posture, and he said, imagine you've got a helium balloon attached to your head at all times, and it's pulling you up. So it's pulling your head up, it's pulling your chest up, it's pulling your shoulders up, so you've got nice good posture. So apply that to your goblet squat. As you get down to the depth of the goblet squat and are about to squat back up, that helium balloon is attached. So your head goes up, your chest stays up, your shoulders are back and your torso goes up first, and then your legs follow, not the other way around. So utilize that when you do a goblet squat. Great, great tool, great, great tip. Okay, the RDL, the Romanian deadlift. So this one is great for hamstring and glute development. It really is, and obviously I touched on it earlier with the deadlifts, but for this specific movement, I wanted to give another couple of tips. The first one is if you are really, really flexible, and you bottom out a lot with this movement, you, the, the plates on the bar hit the ground, get yourself up on another plate. Get a 20 or 25 kilo thick bumper plate and stand on that before you perform the exercise. Straight away, that gives you another, what, 10, 15 centimeters of, of range to go deeper. And even if you are incredibly flexible and that's not enough, go up again, use an aerobic step even. The other alternative is, you can put some small plates under your toes. So straight away your toes are elevated, which means your hamstring and your calves are gonna be slightly tighter. So this applies to a stiff-legged deadlift as well. 
So you can put the plates under your toes, create a bit more tension, which means your range of movement has been shortened, so you don't need to uh, worry about bottoming out and touching the ground. Two good tips there for the RDL. All right, so let's move to some upper body stuff. The lat pull down, big popular exercise, a number of variations. You can go wide grip, closed grip, reverse grip, um, the single arm, like there's so many variations, machine, cable, so, but I want to touch on the wide grip because the wide grip, I often see people sort of flounder with this a bit and, and, and kind of ineffectively use this exercise. So when you set up, obviously wide grip, you need to be wider than your shoulders for starters, okay? You need to have your chest up, chin up. You don't want to bring the bar down too low. If you go below, say, the, the chin area, and it's heavy or you're fatigued, what you find is you start to lean and curl forward and you start to crunch the body. So you're effectively doing an ab workout almost when you want your uh, you want your, your lats to be the ones on fire during this exercise. So make sure when you pull, when you start to commence the exercise and you're moving the bar down, drive your elbows wide. Try and keep them as wide as possible for as long as possible through that movement. This keeps your shoulders back, it keeps your chest up, and it engages your lats, which is what you want. Um, yeah, so make sure that you're driving your elbows wide and you don't go much lower than the chin, okay? Um, the other one is, and, and as I mentioned earlier, keep your chest up. So you want to arch your, it's like you're sitting to attention. Sitting to attention, bar doesn't go below the chin, and you drive your elbows wide. Often I see people throw the bar all the way down to their chest, um, their elbows are really narrow, and the bar's away from their body, you need to keep it nice and close, um, and you're effectively working the wrong muscle group and potentially putting stress on the wrong joint too. All right, I'm gonna roughly, uh, just quickly touch on ab work. It's not something I promote too much, and it's not something I program too much as well, because you do um, engage your core quite a lot in most compound moves, but, a lot of people, particularly in like a sort of a planking scenario, an ab rollout, even a sort of a seated abdominal machine exercise, a lot of people feel their lower back and, I'm, and it took me ages to figure this out. You have to engage your core first. So to engage your core, you squeeze. You squeeze your core, you tense your core. Imagine you're about to get punched in the stomach and you, you brace for it, that's tensing your core. So before you perform any abdominal exercise, tense your core and keep it tense. Make sure it's on throughout the entire performance of that exercise. So whether it's a crunch, a sit-up, um, a, a cable pull-down, an ab machine, a roll-out, um, Russian twist, anything like that, engage your core first. Big tip. Okay, I'm going to get into some, some more specifics now. So for any sort of pressing movement, so a bench press, a shoulder press, um, well, primarily those two, anything that you're pushing away from the body, the wrist tends to it tends to be the weakest joint in this movement. So whether it be a bench press, incline Smith machine, or shoulder press, standing barbell press, the wrist can take a lot of load and, and, be, and becomes quite sore because think about where you place the bar. You place the bar on your knuckles. So at the base of the fingers, at the top of the palm, that's where you position the bar. But you can alleviate that pressure off your wrist. One, use a wrist strap, and don't get me wrong, they're really effective and I use them all the time. But two, when it's safe to do so, roll the bar further down to the base of your palm. 
okay? If you look at your wrist from a side position, so your fist and your wrist, if you position the bar at the top, oh sorry, at the bottom of your palm, directly above your wrist, straight away, there's less pressure on the wrist. It's not trying to push your wrist in the wrong position. It's actually driving straight down your wrist into your forearm. Now, this isn't ideal for some free weight scenarios, okay, particularly if the weight is heavy, but things like um, your chest press, your shoulder machine press, anything like that where the line of movement is fixed and all you've got to do is push, it's a great alternative, okay? It really protects the wrist and doesn't create that tension in the wrist. And, the, you know, we've got to protect our joints. We really do. Okay, the next one I wanted to touch on is the lateral raise. So this can be seated or standing. So many times I see people swinging to do this. Now, if you're swinging, nine times out of 10, actually two scenarios. One, you're doing it wrong, or two, it's too heavy. Now, if it's a ladder, scale the weight back because you can utilize volume in a lateral raise. Think about the muscle group you're using here. It's very, very small. So there's no point in trying to lift ridiculously heavy and swing the body and use all this momentum and then the shoulder doesn't get worked out effectively. So I'll give you an example of volume. So say if you are trying to do say, I don't know, eight reps at 10 kilos, okay? That seems like a lot, but eight reps at 10 kilos, that's a total volume of 80 kilos. Why don't you scale it back to halve that, so five kilos and do, I don't know, uh, let's do 20 reps. 20 reps at five kilos is 100 kilos. So straight away you've increased the volume, but you've lessened the load, lessened the stress, and your performance of your technique should be 10 times better on a lighter weight. So remember that. Now the analogy I wanna use for a good lateral raise is imagine when you perform it, now again, sitting or standing, it doesn't matter, although I do prefer sitting because then it, it can eliminate a bit of swing or a bit of bounce through the legs, is imagine you're trying to drive that dumbbell on either side of your body away from the body to create the biggest semicircle you can. You're gonna create the biggest semicircle as far away from the body as you can to perform that exercise. Now don't forget, you need to have your dumbbell at a horizontal point to the ground, so it's parallel to the ground at all times, and a very slight bend in the elbow. Don't have a locked out arm because what you'll find under fatigue is you'll start to use your bicep and tricep to perform this exercise. If you relax those by bending your elbow just slightly, you'll perform the exercise much better and put all the load on your shoulder, which is what we're working. We're working the lateral deltoid in this exercise. So remember that. Remove as much swing from your exercise as possible and try and push the dumbbells away from your body and create a very wide semicircle. Give that one a go. Now the rear lateral raise, now this can be performed in a number of ways. You can do it standing up and bent over, you can do it seated down and bent over. The one I like the best, which I haven't mentioned, is standing up behind a bench that's got the backrest elevated and you put your forehead on that backrest. So position the backrest at say about a 45 degree thereabouts, maybe a little bit higher, depending on your height, and you come down and position your head or your forehead on the top of the backrest. Then set up and do your rear lateral raise. Now by doing this and maintaining that contact with the bench, you're stopping yourself from swinging. Okay, you reduce the swing considerably and you identify the fact that you're targeting your rear laterals, your posterior laterals or posterior delts, I should say, 
um, really, really effectively. It's a great way to get those rear lateral, uh, I keep saying rear laterals, those rear deltoids or those posterior deltoids. So try that one as well. Make sure your back's in a neutral position and you've got a slight bend in your knee too, so you're in good stable position. Okay, moving along to the biceps and triceps. So isolation work on these. Biceps first. Now, often I see this, I see it so much, is that when people are doing, particularly males are doing bicep curls with a, a dumbbell or an easy bar, barbell even, they're swinging the weight through their shoulder and their elbow is moving back and forwards away from the body because the weight's too heavy. They're trying to lift too much, they're swinging their torso, the shoulder is rotating and their elbow is moving away from the body. Let's scale it back, it's much like the lateral raise, you're lifting too much. Focus on volume over lifting too heavy too soon, get the volume up through the muscle. It's another small muscle, so you've got to put volume through it. But an effective bicep curl, the elbows need to stay beside the body at all times. They cannot move, okay? Otherwise, you're using your shoulder and you shouldn't do that. Secondly, your palm or where your, your grip of the dumbbell should start at a straight arm position and then curl up from there, okay? And then perform that on each rep so that the bicep is being fully elongated and then fully contracted with resistance. That's the perfect bicep curl, and that's through a dumbbell, a barbell, cable, whatever. It doesn't matter. The movement's still the same. The other thing is protect your wrist. So the analogy I like to use, and I was going to touch on this later in the podcast, but I'll use it now, is imagine you've got a steel rod inserted, so you're almost like Wolverine, <laughs> Um, imagine you've got a steel rod inserted in your forearm running from your knuckle in your fist to your elbow, forcing you to not be allowed to rotate or swing your wrist. That's the analogy you need to use when you're doing a bicep curl because I often see people curling their wrists and putting so much pressure on their wrists through that movement and then wondering why their wrists are sore afterwards. That's why. So eliminate that from your exercise by imagining that you've got a steel rod in your forearm all the way to your knuckle, okay? Take out the swing from the shoulder, don't swing the torso, and full range on the bicep. Now, this, those tips also apply to any sort of tricep um, work, and, and the most common tricep work is done on a cable, so a V-bar pushdown, a, a rope um, extension, anything like that, even a single arm. Elbow doesn't move, okay? Lean forward. No swing, elbow doesn't move. Really lock out the um, the forearm and the arm to full extension before you contract it or release it back in, okay? You want that tricep to work and work hard. You don't want to be swinging through the shoulder. You don't want the torso to be swinging. All right. Another good tip, actually, for the bicep curl, particularly a barbell or an easy bar curl, is stand up against the wall. Stand up against the wall. Put your elbows either side of your body against that wall and then perform the bicep curl and keep that elbow contact with the wall at all times. Straight away you eliminate swing, you keep your elbows in position and you obviously have to bring the barbell all the way down to a straight arm and back up again. I guarantee you that'll make a big difference to your bicep work. All right, um, the last main exercise that I wanted to touch on is a body weight dip. Now not a dip off a dip frame or a dip machine where you're utilizing your chest and your tries. The one I'm talking about is where people sort of set up on the on the long side of a, a bench and then do a dip. More, I see this all the time, and it does my head in, to be honest. Um, 
where people slump their body, their shoulders are rotated forward, and they're basically doing some wild form of a shoulder exercise, when in point of fact, it's a tricep exercise, and that's all you should be feeling. So don't shrug for starters. Do it in front of a mirror so you can see what you're doing, but don't shrug for starters. Get your chest forward, rotate your hands so that your fingers are pointing in the same direction as your feet, okay? Don't have them on an angle. Keep your elbows nice and narrow behind your body and allow your triceps to lower you down. Now, if you find this too difficult, bring your feet closer to the bench and bend your knees. So the further away you have your feet, the harder it becomes because you're obviously um, putting more load on your triceps because your feet are further away. If you bring them closer, you can you can eliminate that or drop that, that load down a bit. And that's where you can start from and then work your way out. And then if it becomes too easy, put a big weight plate or a, um, a sandbag on your lap. So that way you create more resistance. It's a really good exercise. It's very simple to set up, but take out the shrug, take out the shoulders, wholly and solely identify how you can isolate those triceps the best. Everyone is different, but those tips will certainly help you out. Now, I just want to touch on a few other holistic sort of um, tips and tricks for training that will help you. As I mentioned earlier in, I think it was the bench press, breathing, breathing is so important, um, particularly in your compound moves. So as I mentioned, your squatting, deadlifting, leg press, lunges, bench press, hip thrusts, breathe effectively through these exercises. I see plenty hold their breath through several reps before they release. I see others breathe incorrectly. So they're deflating their lungs, particularly on a bench press when you're pressing up. So your lungs are going down, your body's concaving as you're pressing away from your body. Big mistake. Make sure you take that deep breath and hold. And the experienced lifters will understand this. You can press a couple of reps at a time while uh, with one breath, and that's fine. But if you're an intermediate or a beginner, breathe through each rep. You don't have to pump out the set extremely quickly, okay? Take your time, slow it down. Don't worry about time under tension or anything like that. Just focus on good technique and breathing through the exercise. You don't want to get up off a, a deadlift or a, a squat or something like that and be lightheaded because you didn't get enough oxygen in the body. And that will potentially lead to, to failure through the set or not getting the reps out that has been programmed for you or anything like that. You want to make sure that you're hitting your numbers every single time. Um, variations, variations to any exercise are key to success and key to progression, okay? Progression is what we all chase in the gym. We want to be stronger, we want to lift more, we want to look great. But if you keep doing the same exercises at the same weight, at the same rep range, at the same volume, there's a, la uh, there's a lack of adaptation. Sorry, no, I take that back. There is adaptation because your body is gets getting used to it. Your mind is getting used to it. This is why I only program out anywhere from sort of 25 to 45 days of exercise and then I change an individual's program completely. So when I can change it completely, I change the rep range, the set range, the volume, the load, the exercises, okay, and the, and the sequence of those exercises. The body needs to be guessing at all times, the mind needs to be guessing, but the mind needs to be motivated as well. If you keep doing the same program over and over and over again, particularly if it's a paper program where you don't actually have weights to chase and it's just like three sets of 12 on this, four sets of 10 on this, the, your mind will start to stray and you'll start to find yourself creating new exercises to do because you're getting bored with what you're doing. So make sure that your programming, if it has been pre-programmed or if you've bought it off the internet or whatever, 
is only for say four to six weeks max. No longer than that, then you need a new one to make sure that you are continually progressing, you're continually motivated, you're not dropping off, and there's variation in your exercises. There's so many different ways to train a muscle group. There really is, and I've mentioned heaps of them today. So make sure there's variation and keep your body and your mind guessing. All right, um, <laughs> I should have brought this up earlier, but ladies, ladies, the Stairmaster does not build your glutes. It does not grow your glutes. It does not develop your glutes. The Stairmaster is a cardio machine and that's all it does. It heightens your, um, your heart rate. It makes your body work hard. You have to breathe heavier. And yes, you're gonna burn a lot of calories depending on how long you do it for and what the speed is and all those sorts of things. But doing it on there specifically to train your glutes, I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but that does not work. And throwing a band on when you're doing glutes is just stupid. And I'm sorry to be blunt, but it is dumb. And I see it all the time. And I watch people do it and they're swinging their leg out to the side and they're taking big strides and all this sort of stuff. There's no resistance there for starters apart from the band. And if you're an intermediate or experienced lifter, then it's not gonna do anything. All you're effectively doing is cardio and you're wasting your time when you could be spending it lifting on a hip thrust or you know, some other form of exercise to, to train your glutes with resistance. So forget the Stairmaster to train your glutes or develop your glutes, it's not gonna happen. Finally, the last point I want to touch on, and I've mentioned it throughout this podcast, is progression. Progression is key to success. So if you are trying to lose weight, if you're trying to build muscle, if you're trying to get fitter, stronger, healthier, if you're trying to develop certain parts of your physique, you need to be achieving progression. Now, what does progression mean? Well, it can be in a number of forms. So for a weight loss person, it's not necessarily just about the number on the scales each week. For someone lifting heavy, it's not about how much you lift, okay? You need to look at it at a holistic perspective, from a holistic perspective. So weight is one, as I mentioned, so lifting more and lifting bigger, but there is a, a point where you're gonna struggle to, to supersede that. So that's when we break it down, and, and as I mentioned, volume. Volume is so, so important, particularly over sets and reps, but rep range. So you know, you might be doing, uh, let's use an example, 100 kilos on the leg press, you're doing five sets at 15. So I'm gonna quickly work that out because I didn't pre-plan this one. So 100 kilos by 15 reps is 1.5 ton. Times that by five sets, and I'm getting the calculator out because I don't wanna rely on my mass right now. So if we go 1.5 times five, that's 7.5 ton, okay? But if you then progress from, from that to 100 kilos by 20 reps, which is two ton, and then two ton by five is 10 ton. So straight away, you've improved your progression on that one exercise by two and a half ton of weight. So for your legs in particular, your, your quads, your hamstring, your glutes, maybe even your core to a degree, you've improved that exercise by simply upping the reps by five on each set, over five sets, 2.5 ton extra of weight. That's pretty cool, that's good. So that's what I mean, that's just one example. You can apply that across the board to all exercises that you program in. 
So make sure you look at that. That's another sign of progression. So you should be recording what you train. If you're out there listening and you're all you do is turn up to the gym and just go through the motions, you do some stuff, but you're not aware of what you're lifting, you're not aware of how many sets, you just do it as you feel, you need to write it down, okay? You need to write it down, keep a record of it. If you're comfortable with what you're doing, don't get me wrong, if you're comfortable with what you're doing and you just go through the motions because it makes you feel good, it's great for your mindset, and you feel like you're working out, great, don't get me wrong. But if you're looking for results, you need to keep a track record of your progression. You really do. So weight is one. Reps are another. Sets are another. Volume is another. Range of movement is another. And I mentioned that earlier, um, particularly in the squat example. Range of movement and improvement in your range of movement is incredibly important because you're utilizing more of your body when you improve your range of movement. Um, If you haven't been shown correctly, good technique on a certain exercise and you're fearful of doing it, get some guidance, get some professional support to help you, okay? Don't be afraid of an exercise because you're fearful of doing it incorrectly. Make sure you get that support, that guidance. Engage a personal trainer for just a one-off session, someone who knows and understands the exercise you're trying to do and get their assistance to help you better that performance. Technique, technique, your improvement in technique. So range of movement is one, but technique, as I mentioned earlier, and as through all of these examples, engagement, excuse me, engagement of all the muscles that you're trying to identify and target, um, core engagement, so you're bracing, breathing through the exercise, full range of movement, all of these things are paramount to good training. If you can perfect all of these to your body type and to your capabilities and to your limitations, then you're gonna go so much further in terms of your health fitness goals, you really are. So that's it, guys. I really appreciate you listening. We've run just over 45 minutes, which is a good time, so please sit back and and, and have a good listen to this. If you wanted to re-listen to it or fast forward to certain sections for certain exercises, please do save it, write it down, because some of these tips have come from years and years of experience for myself through either learning them on my own or researching them or watching um, other professionals in the industry do them. It's a great compilation of of hints, tips, hacks that you can apply to your training to better perfect your ability to progress. And as I've said, progression is key to your success in your health and fitness goals. It really is. So thank you very much for tuning in once again. If you really enjoyed this podcast, please screenshot it tag it on or tag me on your insta story so i know you've listened to it so hit subscribe on the on the itunes or spotify or any other platform i'm on most of them now and as i say to every client every single day have a great day